I'm Simon Wright. I'm Declan Hill. And we are the Sitcom Mission. And uh, we teach uh, sitcom writing at City Academy in London. And we run the Sitcom Mission, which is an international sitcom writing competition. And we do podcasts. And this week our podcast is about... Nothing happens. Sitcoms where nothing happens. And is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? The sitcoms I'm thinking about are... Peter Kay's Car Share, Smoking Room and Royal Family as being examples of sitcoms where nothing especially happens and all you have really is characters that sit around and talk. Um, the reason um, we want, I want to talk about this tonight is because we had a, a sitcom read out which was about uh, four people standing around in a toilet talking about um, uh, things in their lives and what I liked about it was, is, or what I like about these is the fact that you're, you're confined to one space. You're confined to one area and your characters can't leave. Which makes you think of the smoking room. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, those characters had to be there. They couldn't, they couldn't go anywhere else. Especially not, you know, if they wanted to smoke, they had to be there. Um, royal family, all the characters had to be there because they're all part of the same family. Um, car share... Um, you know, your, your two central characters have to be there because they're going on the way to, to work together. I think the thing about nothing happens, we're so used to sitcoms like Modern Family where in 22 minutes you get an ABC story, you get three stories in 22 minutes. It's very compressed storytelling. And if you're used to that and you come up against either a story in which nothing happens or just one simple linear plot it can feel very, very thin. Yeah. Um, the thing with sitcoms like these where, where nothing essentially happens and you've got two people talking a lot is if you're going to turn it into a virtue, then you're talking about short plays, really. You know, you're talking about a 15-minute or a 20-minute or a half-hour play um, with recurring characters. And I think it's, it works better if you're going to have the characters talk about things that are really emotionally... Um, resonant with themselves and with each other and talking about things that really mean something to them so that we're watching two characters, two or three characters divulging their emotions and looking at characters going through a process with each other um, what it, when it doesn't work for me is when people give me stand-up comedy as sitcom dialogue. Oh, we get a lot of this. We do get a lot of this. And if you get two characters or three characters sitting around in a room talking about, uh, tell you what, have you seen my wife's got no nose? Or anything, you know, anything sort of stand-up-y. You know, I was in a queue for Sainsbury's the other day and the other queue started moving quicker. So I moved into that till. And then the other queue started moving quicker. And it's just, it's just like, well, I don't care. The problem with that kind of thing is that if your avatar is someone who is fascinating and talks all the time and is really doing stand-up for you because you haven't got the balls to do it in public, is that all the other characters are reduced to an audience and they've got nothing to say. Who would play them? They, either that or they're just props, prompts, prompts. They're props and they're prompts. You know, they're, they're the ones just to feed the lines to the, uh, to the character that's doing the stand-up. And it's, it is deathly dull when that happens. I think it comes down to writing actor bait. Why would anybody play those other characters? People would queue up to play the main character that the writer's fallen in love with, but all the other characters, they've got to be cast as well. 
I've just critiqued a script in which a waiter shows someone to her seat in a restaurant. And it could have been a really nothing part. And what she's written is a waiter who says to her, I can't stand the blazers those guys are wearing. So I've turned the heating up so they have to take them off. He's got an attitude towards the people in the restaurant. He's not just a function. Uh, that's good. So, Sai, what would you like to talk about? I'd like to talk about character description. It's very often the very first thing you read is a description of the characters. First of all, it's welcome if there is some. But something that came up in class tonight was over-describing characters. If you give us too much character description, we'll just cut to the dialogue. We won't read it. If you tell us what your characters are wearing in minute detail, that she's wearing an Oxford blue cashmere jumper with a, a Laura Ashley Paisley skirt or something, we don't care. Just tell us what she's like, and from that, we'll assume what she's wearing. Mm, I think if you describe that character as wearing mismatched clothes... Uh, or she's straight out of a charity shop. Um, you know, or her clothes are straight out of a charity I shop. I can see her. We get her. Yeah. We get her straight from that. I, I've also read a script this week uh, where uh, a character was described, you know, as she's wearing black shoes, white socks, um, a black skirt, a white shirt, and a black blazer, black jumper. Um, and I just thought, she's wearing black and white clothes. Yeah, you know, exactly. we, we don't need all that description. And it's almost as though I'm giving you this much description because I'm afraid of showing you the character. I'm afraid of getting to the character and letting the character speak. Tell us what the characters are like. Or use the clothes for a joke. Uh, I've just read one in which somebody enters dressed all in black and another character says, why do you look like Steve Jobs? Mm. That tells us what she's wearing. And it also gives the other character, you know, this is an endowing um, action where the other character says um, you know uh, why are you looking like that I'm going to get a joke out of it and we also find out that that character is sarcastic yeah you get two bangs for your buck absolutely you? yeah do you want to explain about endowing I will, yeah endowing is um, it's like an improv term where you've got two characters on stage or a character comes on stage and they talk to the other character and about them and they give they endow that other character with uh, an attribute, so they, they'll describe those characters' clothes or uh, a part of their, their, you know, their uh, psychological makeup. So, um, you know, I could come on stage and go, Simon, you're always suicidal. Um, and then that character, the character Simon's playing, will know to, he, he'll know to say, okay, this is it, and this is the last time I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump, and don't stop me. Um, so you're straight into the scene and we've got there because I've endowed that character, Simon's character, um, with an attribute that he's always suicidal. Another thing I'd like to talk about in describing things is describing things that we can't see. It's not a novel. You can't take us inside someone's head. If you say, enter Declan, thinking of Paris, and the last time he saw Susan... All we'll see is a man walk through a door. Yeah, um, I could be thinking of anything you don't know until somebody says to me, um, are you thinking about Paris? Or what are you thinking about? Oh, me, Paris, and the last time I saw Susan. Uh, now yeah. we know. Now we know, yeah. But up until then, you know, why are you looking so dozy? Or why are you looking so dreamily? Um, then we'll know a bit more about that character and what they're doing. 
So don't over-describe and don't give us novelistic description either. When, when we're reading scripts, and I think when any, any script reader is reading a script and that we, we get novelistic description like that, then I will make a note and say, how do we know this? How do we, the audience, know this? You, the writer, knows this, and you, the writer, knows, know about the character knowing this. But we, the audience, don't know this, and we, the reader, script reader, only know this because you've put it in the script or in the scene direction. Lastly, we would like to talk about what's your sitcom really about? This is, this is a question that Dave Cohen and, and James Carey ask a lot on their sitcom uh, Geek podcast. Um, what's it about? What's it really about? And who is it about? We would say, what's it about? What's it really about? And which relationships are it about? Because we, you know, sitcoms are about relationships between people. But the, the, the idea of what's it really about is a really interesting one because it, it's a conversation that we can have. You know, if you take your script to a production company, they're going to they're ask you, what's this really about? And it's, it's just getting into that conversation and being able to talk passionately about what you're writing about. I, we've, we've had a, a conversation recently with, uh, with a writer and we've said, what's your sitcom really about? And their response was, I, I don't really know. Now, that's not a conversation we want to have. That's not a conversation that you as a writer want to have. You use conversation, you, you want to say, it's about this one person's struggle against, uh, against the, the odds. Um, it's one person's relationship with his domineering mother. Um, it's, it's a fight for the truth and justice in the American way. I think if she had known what it was about, it would have made it a lot easier for her to plot other stories. I always think of Steptoe, which is not, obviously, it's not about the rag and bone trade. It's about dependency. I need you to stay. I want to go. That's the simplicity at the heart of it. And once you realize you're writing about dependency and not the rag and bone trade, then it implies so many different plots. I think when, when we discussed this further, um, we found out that the, the, the sitcom was actually about fighting about aging fighting against the ravage of oncoming aging for all the, the different characters. That's a conversation we can have. Yes. And that's a conversation I'd love to have because that affects everybody. And it goes from being a niche conversation about stuff to, oh, well, yeah, that really affects me. Uh, that affects me because I've got a big birthday coming up with a zero at the end of it and it's scary. Or, you know, I'm, well, this character doesn't feel anything because they're 20. Oh, no, they're 21. Oh, now they're 22. Ah, oh, now they're getting old. So that's a conversation we can have. And, it's, and it really is about having a conversation. On the subject of ageing, uh, when you describe your characters, do give them a specific age. Don't ever say a character is 20 to 40 because we won't be able to see it. If a character is, say, 29, then they're looking down the barrel of 30. If they're 49, they're looking down the barrel of 50, and those are significant dates. Yeah, we, um, actors have playing ages of 40 to 60. Characters are not 40 to 60. Characters are 50 or 48 or 43. Um, you know, you can say somebody's in their 20s. Well, that could be 20 or it could be 29 years and 364 days. And their attitude to the ageing process will be different depending on where they are in that scale. Well, we hope that's clear. 
For future podcasts, if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, email us at info at sitcommission.com. That's S-I-T-C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.com. Info at sitcommission.com or... Or you can tweet us at sitcommission. Um, or you can go to our Facebook page and leave us a message there, uh, Facebook uh, forward slash sitcom mission. Uh, but just just look us up on Facebook for, uh, for sitcom mission and please like our page and please like us on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, we hope to hear from you. Many thanks. Bye bye.